Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. So on this podcast, sometimes I'll talk about crisis, the early stages of recovery, and sometimes I'll talk about just connection, building healthy relationships, long-term connection kinds of things. But for the most part, I spend a lot of episodes talking about this in-between area, the messy middle, if you will. It's the place where there's a lot of questions, a lot of struggles, a lot of risks. And a lot of the times there's not super clear answers for every single situation. And what ends up happening is that what might help one couple will maybe not be good for another couple in this middle space. It seems like the early crisis stuff is actually pretty similar for most people. And long-term connection stuff for most couples looks pretty much the same. We know that a lot of these things help long-term. We know that in terms of creating stability and structure in the beginning. But this middle part, this part's tricky because it's not really a science about how to get from the crisis over to the connection. There's this middle space where there's different personalities and backgrounds and histories and levels of safety and temperaments and all kinds of factors that have to be weighed out. And so a lot of the conversations that I have on this podcast with my guests are just really designed to help you explore and apply and figure out how to navigate this middle area. Today's episode is definitely a middle area discussion. Today, we're going to talk about what to do with the feelings and the emotions and the needs of the betrayer. Now, the reason I'm setting this up this way is because this conversation is not going to be easy for someone if you are in early recovery, if you are in the early crisis stage. Do not carry on and listen to this and think it applies to you. It really doesn't. This is more middle area, later area stuff. So I mostly say that to you just to spare you the feelings that you're doing it wrong or that you're not caring enough or those kinds of things. There is a time and a season for all the different parts and stages of recovery. And this stage really does depend on you having safety as a betrayed partner. Security, stability, safety, honesty. If those things are not in place, this episode is not going to do you any good. In fact, it'll probably do you more harm. 
So please be warned and recognize and sort through and make sure that you're in the right place to be listening to this. And if you start listening to it and you're like, ah, that's not for me or I'm not quite there yet, that's fine. Just pause it, move on to the next episode next week. However, if you're listening to it and you're all, I think I'm in this place, but I feel challenged by this, or this is hard, or I'm not really sure what I think, or I agree with this, but I disagree with that, then you're probably in the right place because it's going to feel challenging. Some things are going to make a lot of sense. There might be some ahas. That's fine. That's what the messy middle part is really about. There aren't easy answers. We're not trying to just you know create some sort of formula. We're just trying to have conversations that open up ideas and perspectives and opportunities to really sort through and understand where you're at. So today, as I talk with my guest about what to do with the betrayer's emotions and feelings, we're going to talk a lot about responsibilities from both people and how this is supposed to look. And this is a challenging thing if you don't have that stability. So if you've done some good recovery work and if your partner, the betrayer, has really created a lot of honesty and a lot of safety and transparency, then this will feel more like something you can work on being curious about and discovering and understanding because you're out of the survival phase. You're not just trying to survive every day and figure out where you're safe. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be listening to this and having things feel worse for you. That's the last thing I would want. So today we're going to talk about really this additional layer of how to help couples rebuild trust and build more security. We understandably, like I said before, spend a lot of time in early recovery in the crisis phase, helping the betrayed partner deal with their emotions find safety, learn how to trust themselves, and so on. And we also today want to talk about the other side. I mean, what do you do with the betrayer when they're struggling to regulate their emotions, deal with their own feelings, their shame, things like that? I mean, some would say that, well, these guys are, you know, if it's a woman, but in, in most cases, for today's purposes, we're going to talk about men being the betrayers in this case. Some would say that they don't deserve the compassion because they're the ones that injured the relationship. They're the ones that created all this damage. So, They need to go take care of that with someone else or outside the relationship. But it's not that simple because in my experience, the betrayed partner is coming to them for comfort. They're coming to them for validation, reassurance, safety, trust. And they really need to know that this betrayer can respond to them and care about them. And so this isn't just like two people living separate lives trying to figure out their own individual recoveries. There is this attachment that's been broken and There's a longing for this to work again. And so it's really, really tricky for the betrayed to live in a relationship where they're the only ones being taken care of. They also have a need to know that they can take care of and care about their partner if they're going to be in a marriage. So once there's been stability, once there's been safety, it really frees up the betrayed to start to notice and care about and wonder what to do with his emotions, his feelings, his own struggles. But sometimes it can feel really scary to care about that, to worry that maybe you're being manipulated or maybe there's some sort of rule that you're not supposed to care about this too soon, or maybe they'll feel like they're being let off the hook, or maybe they won't care about your feelings anymore, or they'll make it all about them, right? These are the questions that come up and it's so challenging, but we have to talk about it if the relationship down the road is going to be reciprocal and connected where both people feel valued and loved. And yes, absolutely. There are times where the betrayer is really struggling to regulate their emotions. And this is most of the time early on stuff where there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of abusive behaviors, blaming, avoidance, abandonment. They can really shut down the whole process and hurt the betrayed even more. 
So we're not talking about that stuff today. We're not talking about what to do with that. That's boundaries. That's stuff we've covered in other episodes. This is really about when they've worked hard to try and create emotional stability. They've worked hard to create safety. They've done a lot to try and create conditions where things can feel safe again, but yet they're still struggling with their emotions. What do you do with that? My guest today is Kaylee Dunn. She is a licensed therapist and she has been studying sexual addiction and betrayal trauma for 14 plus years. She's been practicing as a therapist for nine of those years. Kaylee has extensive training in attachment-focused EMDR, betrayal trauma, sexual compulsivity, and emotionally focused therapy. She's written articles, books, and podcasts on the topic, and her biggest passion is to help her clients heal from past traumas, see the present clearly, and ultimately build betrayal resilience. And she also uh, currently co-facilitates a weekly free private betrayal trauma group discussion for women across the world. And I'll put links to all her stuff in the show notes so you can connect with her. Kaylee's a fantastic therapist and a great thinker, and I love talking to her about this kind of stuff. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to dive into this discussion on what is a betrayed partner supposed to do when her partner is frozen, reactive, unavailable, emotionally overwhelmed, and what is her responsibility? What is her response? What is his response? How does this really work with the two of them together? Okay. I've provided a lot of context, a lot of support. Hopefully this is a good enough setup for you as we jump into this discussion. I care deeply about these topics. It's so important to help couples get resources and tools to be able to move forward in their healing. And so I'm excited to share with you this discussion with Kaylee Dunn. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kaylee. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so good to have you on here. So, all right. So today's topic, I want to talk about a dynamic that I don't think gets a lot of airtime and is probably because it's so tricky and delicate. So I love that I get to talk with you about it because you're a careful person and you're intelligent. And I think that we'll be able to sort through this and hopefully give some support to our listeners who find themselves in this situation. So this is that dynamic in a relationship where you've got someone who's betrayed the relationship, whether, you know, an addiction, an affair, some sort of a betrayal. And when they're talking about it or when they're being held accountable or when there's some kind of high emotion, all of a sudden they go quiet. And it's hard to detect in that moment if they're being abusive, right? They're gaslighting, minimizing, if they're just icing you, or if they're actually struggling with any sort of dysregulation, self-regulation, if they're just frozen, like in their own trauma, and then what to do about that. So let's sort through this. I mean, first of all, I'd love to know how in the world can you tell the difference? Like what's really going on? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Like what is happening? Because from the betrayed perspective, right? With my clients and then with my own experience from the betrayed perspective, you're hurting, you're maybe triggered, you have a trauma response and you show up to this conversation somewhere inside of you, you know, maybe you are like ticked out of your mind and you want to tear into them. But some part of you is hoping for some soothing and some connection and something that's going to help you feel better, right? Right. And so for whatever, however you're approaching the scenario, you're hoping to feel better. And then you open up to this person and in whatever way that you do, because you're in trauma. So you might not do it in the most, you know, graceful possible way, but sometimes <laughs> you're graceful and you, you bring it up. And we call it like the land of a thousand conversations where I'm trying to have the same conversation a thousand different ways, right? Like, well, I've approached him really nice and I've yelled at him and I've thrown stuff and I've, you know, so you try all these different ways. And at the end of the day, you always get the same blank stare or, you know, a disconnect or the dark cloud, as I call it. It's like the seething, quiet anger thing. Right. And 
and you just start feeling like you either want to dig, right? We talk about our, you know, EFT stuff. You just want to dig and pursue, or you're just like, deuces, I'm out of here. I can't handle this. And so what is going on under there? And it, yeah, it definitely can feel abusive because when you're on the other side of that as the betrayed partner, this is what's going through your head. I didn't cause this, right? Yeah. I'm asking for something here from you to help me feel better. And your silence is basically sending the message to me because I'm too scary or because I'm not good enough that this is kind of my fault. Like my own pain here is my fault. And I just feel like tearing my own skin off because of how I can't get through to you. Yeah. It's like a judgment, right? Like a like there's this signal coming back that like, you're the problem now. My silence is like disapproval or there's some, you're doing something wrong. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something. And, and even if it's not like an active disapproval, it's kind of like, well, what am I doing to scare you off? Like if I can oh. sense that they're afraid or disconnected or yeah. if I, so, you know, if my childhood voices are telling me like you're loud and obnoxious, then I'm sensing I'm loud and obnoxious and scaring you away. Or mm -hmm. if my childhood voices are like, you don't matter, then it's like, oh, you don't give me the time of day. You know, so when I have a blank slate, the lights are on, but nobody's home and I'm knocking and nobody's coming. It's basically a blank slate for me to throw my trauma onto and try to figure out what the heck is going on. Oh, you've got a big old canvas there to paint. Guy. Yeah. Like, like your <laughs> yeah, whole childhood right? right there. You can just paint it. <laughs> right. Because I'm just, I mean, it's a, it's a protection mechanism, right? Yeah, I'm in for betrayal. sure. I'm just trying to protect myself. I don't want to get betrayed again. I might be seeking some sense of feeling better, but I might just be trying to assess, you know, the situation. My body's just looking for some protection. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm out there just kind of trying to figure out, am I safe? And when I get nothing, man, the sky is the limit. So it's very traumatizing. It's sometimes even more traumatizing to come up with nothing with my partner. Like if he's yelling, at least he's, I know somebody's home. If he's running, if he's crying, if he's whatever, blaming, at least I know somebody's home. But if I have a blank canvas, man, I can come up with all kinds of stuff that could be explaining the silence that I'm getting from him. Yeah. And that, that, that silence, that distance, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, it's really just abandonment in that moment. It feels oh, like yeah. isolation. Oh, yeah. It's just there, there's almost, it almost feels like there's no other explanation for it other than yeah. I don't matter. I don't matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with me that's causing this. Yeah. Somehow I'm causing the situation. And, and then that's really messes with your head. And so, you know, when I reached out to you and said, Hey, let's talk about this. I mean, I have with my clients and in my experiences, I kind of have a picture of what I think might be going on underneath the surface there. Yeah. But I'd like to hear kind of from, from your perspective with the freeze mode and what's that like, you know, to be on the other end of that and yeah. feel just frozen. Yeah. I told you, Kayla, I'll tell my listeners when we were talking about this, I just said, oh yeah, like I totally want to talk about this because like by nature, I'm a freezer. Like uh, by mm -hmm. nature, just from my own childhood, from my own relationships, like my body automatically goes quiet. I'm going to be the last person that's going to get in your face and like fight back and argue. It's just <laughs> as it's not, it's just not, right. in my, not in my nervous system. I don't do that. But yeah. I will unintentionally send you the message that, you know, I don't like you. Or, I, or <laughs> right. I don't mean to, right? So people, people, I've had that feedback over the years, but yeah, what's going on? Well, it feels like initially for me, and, and this is what I've had to really work through. It's, it feels like it's a total nervous, uh, like totally, how would I say it? Unintentional automatic nervous system response that basically just like powers it down, almost like a gear shift you can't control. Mm. It's like everything in me just kind of goes shift, 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 shift all the way down. To where like, it's just almost like, so my heart rate doesn't speed up. Everything just kind of goes quiet and goes calm. And it's all in response to everything outside of me feeling like it's moving too fast. 
too fast. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, I understand freezers. I get them. Like, I understand what mm-hmm. it's like to see somebody kind of go deer in the headlights. And the other person on the other end is terrified because it's just like, you know, are you ignoring me? Do you not care? Right. And so, and then my wife, of course, just because we always tend to find, right, our perfect of match. Of course we do. Right? <laughs> of course we do. <laughs> has more, has came from more of a fight background. She has more of a, you know, her father's an attorney. She grew up in a home where they, they have no problem engaging and just really hammering things out. And so, or my family is much more avoidant. So, we sort of became the perfect storm for each other where it was very much... Mm-hmm. The quieter I got, the more she would be like, what is that about? And, and we'd Where go back you? and forth like that, right? And uh, I was, we were actually talking about this very thing the other day and anticipating this episode. And, and we had this kind of moment where we both looked at each other and said, hey, yeah, sorry for, you know, she was like, sorry for all the years that I made you freeze. And I'm all, yeah, sorry for all the years I made you fight. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, exactly. you know, we can laugh about it. But in the moment, it's really, it's really hard. Because it is, a, yeah. it is a nervous system response at a very basic yeah. level. Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not an abusive person. I don't have that anywhere in my, my heart. I'm not, it's not my, my story, <laughs> yeah. my pattern. But a lot of women in this situation who have been betrayed or men who've been betrayed and they have a partner who is frozen on the other side, sometimes it's really hard to tell if that person's just messing mm-hmm. with you if they're really like using this as a manipulation or some sort of a tool, a power tool, mm-hmm. or if or if they're really just stuck, right? And and we should maybe have yeah. a little compassion on them. I mean, what do you think? How do you tell? And this is the million yeah. dollar question, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's so tricky too, because as much as I love your story, which I which I do, you know, I can imagine being a betrayed spouse kind of hearing that and going, what do you mean? I'm sorry for making you freeze, right? It doesn't feel like, like, you know, I can't, I shouldn't, if you were, if it was an addiction situation, yeah, these um, are, yeah, these know, are just garden variety marriage discussions, right? <laughs> we're not, yeah, no, 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 but, but I guess I want to speak to that piece that you're sure. describing, right? Is that okay? How do I know if what's going on on the other side of the table is intentional? Is this intentional? Is this not intentional? Right. If it's not intentional, it's still painful. So That's what do I right. do with this? And mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that is the million dollar question that we don't really have the answer to because every scenario is different. With my clients, I very often go back to, you know, I don't have a mind reading machine. I always wish I did. I could just kind of like, oh, yeah, hold it up to their head and be like, okay, what's going on in there? Yeah, yeah. And so the only thing we have is what I call our internal polygraph or our, you know, your intuition, your gut that Mm -hmm. you're working to hone that gets absolutely destroyed after a disclosure or discovery. Yep. And you're really tuning into that, slowing down um, your own fight, flight, or freeze responses, slowing that down, and yeah, kind of tuning in to that scenario mm-hmm. and really looking into that. And will there be, you know, a black and white answer every time? No, that's really hard to not have that. But but being able to decide where am I? How do I feel in this moment? Do I feel safe in this moment? And sometimes whether the person is being abusive. I mean, you tell me if I'm right here or not, Joe. So I was kind of thinking about it this way. If can that behavior from my partner, that freeze mode response, that shutdown, that he feels totally out of control. I mean, that's kind of what I heard from you. So on, on his end, there's this feeling of like, I'm frozen. Yeah. And it just kind of happened to me. Mm-hmm. And now everything is getting faster and louder around me. And, yep. and then I want to crawl deeper and deeper into this hole, which makes sense to me. You know, from his perspective, that doesn't feel abusive, right? He's not an abusive person right. in general. 
but on the outside perspective, it could feel abusive, right? And so identifying like, yep. can something feel abusive to me without me pointing my finger at that person and calling them an abuser? Right. And allowing for that to happen. And for me to also be like, I feel abused. I feel traumatized. I feel triggered, whether that was my partner's intention or not. And then what do I need considering that? You yeah. know, and, and usually that's like, I need some space from this, what I call the dark cloud. <laughs> like, yeah. I need some space for this cloudy, mucky water that I'm swimming in because it's too, I don't know. I think in the aftermath is really where a partner is going to tell if this is abusive or not. I think it's hard in the moment because in the moment, what you're dealing with is a nervous system. You're dealing with fight or flight. You're dealing with something that's very automatic and the conditions are just not really right to sort of intellectually sort out what this is or not. Absolutely. So, so I think, I think what happens is again, in, in a betrayal context, which is mostly what we're talking about here, in a betrayal context, if you've got someone who's truly not abusive and really feels bad about what they've done, but they just got overwhelmed in the discussion and shut Mm -hmm. down. I'm confident that that person, and I've seen it happen, that that person later in a different discussion would be able to articulate what was happening for them. That they, they, with a therapist or maybe even with their partner or in their journal or something could, or even in like a group setting or whatever, they could articulate what was happening for them and they wouldn't be circling back with a bunch of blame They wouldn't be circling Mm. back with a bunch of entitlement, which are abusive attitudes. I mean, there's abusive behaviors Mm -hmm. like, oh, you didn't talk to me, but there's the real abuse in my experience is it's it's piled on with all the entitlement and the blame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's one thing, like you said, yeah, you can experience a partner go silent who is physiologically overwhelmed, but if they come back and they feel bad for overwhelming you and they recognize how that could be scary for you. And how that could be triggering and remind them of times, you know, fill in the blank, then it's unlikely that that's going to be somebody who's very abusive. But if, yeah. if after that happens and you're trying to talk about it and they get reactive, defensive, they're blaming you for it. Well, you overwhelm me and you this or that and blaming entitled, all that other stuff's coming out. And there's a pattern of that happening. Yeah. Then it's, you know, it's probably more heading toward the abusive thing, right? Every case is different. Yeah, We're not here to yeah, diagnose yeah. categorically every marriage, but <laughs> right. But I do think that those are things to look for and, and talk about. Because is it true that somebody who's abusive could get flooded and overwhelmed and shut down physiologically? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it's their entitlement, it's their mindset, it's how they see other people as, you know, that's really going to be the tell, mm-hmm. I think, afterwards. What are your thoughts on that, Kaylee? Yeah, I completely agree. And I love how you said that is this mindful awareness for the betrayed partner to be able to weather that storm as you're going through it. Notice what's happening, right? I'm noticing, okay, my partner's shutting down and he's not available. And what do I need in this moment where I'm feeling re traumatized mm-hmm. in this discussion? And okay, I maybe I need to, you know, take a break from this conversation, but then also maintaining that awareness into the as you step into that next stage, which is when we come back together, what am I noticing? Yes. And, and the question I do have for you, Jeff, is what I notice most often is that our withdrawal guys or our freeze guys, I should say, when they come back to the conversation, they're like, and I never want to do that again. So now <laughs> exactly. let's not have that conversation and I'm going to just try to be better and uh, you know somehow make us not go through that so I don't have to freeze again because that was really hard and scary. So I guess that would be my other piece. Like if the guys don't know, 
but they want to make those changes, you know, that's, that can be tricky too, right? So if she tries to reapproach and he shuts down again, what does that mean? Well, I think the reapproach has to be done differently. And this isn't just putting a big burden on her. I think that, yeah, I, th- I think this is where, again, a couple's therapy can be helpful, but even education like we're doing here can be helpful, which is coming back almost like with a, I guess what we would call like a meta discussion, right? A discussion about the discussion. So now it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. hey, I noticed last time we talked, right? Now it's not even about the issue. It's like, we couldn't get very far on that because it seemed like you shut down, I got louder, right? And it's a, it's likely that the person who's the freezer is probably less likely to want to approach this and talk about it. So this is where the betrayed partner has to really decide, okay, I can expect some accountability out of, in this case, let's just say a guy, I can expect accountability out of out of my partner. I can expect him to understand how he impacted me, but I can also still make room for his experience in terms of what it's like talking about this. Yeah. I think that that's a hard thing to do during discovery. I think it's really, yeah. I think it's really tough in early stages of recovery. And so that can be really, really messy. So you have to look mm-hmm. at your own relationship if you're listening to this, trying to figure out how, where you fit into this. But I definitely think it's, it's a critical recovery task for couples, you know, later on in recovery because so they can just mm-hmm. talk about regular things, not just the hurts and the betrayals, but just about anything that's got emotion attached to it, which is, you yeah. know, all, all the things that matter to us. So I think there has to be a balance of, expecting the accountability of not just giving them a pass and saying, well, they get frozen, so we shouldn't talk about this. No, it's mm-hmm. I think it's saying like, how can you stay in this conversation and not get so flooded? And even I think it's healthy for partners, betrayed partners to look at themselves and say, again, this is you know not in the crisis betrayal moment, okay? Discovery yeah. time. I want to keep all that clear. But this at some point, be able to say, we have important things to talk about. I recognize that when we talk, I am part of that formula. Right. I'm part, I'm part of, of that conversation. I'm absolutely part of it. I'm, I'm contributing to this. So I can't just come in, you know, like a missile and expect this to go well, even though I'm hurt. Yeah. So I think there has to be some accountability in terms of understanding how the couple are, uh, communicates. I don't think that any marriage partner, no matter, you know, if they stay in their relationship and want to work on things, has a lifetime pass of behaving badly. Like that's just right. not going to work, right? <laughs> right. If you want to get right. close again. I mean, yeah, the way I say it is like, well, technically you do, but is that really what you want? And so- I like that. You know, <laughs> I like that. That's really good. I right? like the, the way- The ball is in your court. You don't have to stay. You don't owe anybody anything exactly. after a sexual or an emotional betrayal. But the phrase that I had to tell myself, and I mentioned to you, I don't really use my story to tell other people what to do. But the phrase that I think sticks for me is like, is this getting you where you want to go? Exactly. Is whatever you're doing in this dynamic getting you where you want to go? And there's a lot of things in betrayal, trauma, and in this you know sexual compulsion, sexual addiction world, you don't have a whole lot of control over. Yeah. And so that becomes frustrating. And especially in that crisis zone at the beginning, we can get really consumed in what we don't have control over. But like you're saying, there comes a time where I go, okay, is what I'm doing in this conversation getting me one step closer to what I want for me and ideally for my relationship? And one part is not continuing in conversations with this person who's frozen and dysregulated. Exactly. And then also, as you're, ta- as you're saying, you know, when I return to a conversation, if that's what I want to do, because I don't know anything to anybody, but if I want to return to that conversation showing up 
with softness, acknowledging parts that I may be contributing to, but in a way that also allows for me to make a lot of mistakes because I have trauma, right? So it's, it's a Beautiful. tricky web. Because even down the line, you know, years and years later, you're still going to have trauma triggers. Yep. You are. Even if you've worked recovery for a long time, you've done a lot of work. And that's why I call it betrayal resilience instead of betrayal recovery, because it's something that you're consistently working on, you're consistently growing through, and you will have triggers. And so you're not going to always be graceful. And so you have to allow yourself that piece too and have compassion on yourself and go, oh yeah, I yelled or I whatever because of my trauma. And it didn't take me in the direction in my relationship that I wanted to go. And yeah, yeah kind of holding both of those, so hard to do. It's so hard to do. And and I, I love what you're saying here. I think that we have to go back and get, put some accountability again back on the person who betrayed the relationship. Yeah, If they're a freezer, right? We have people that are, that are freezers, man. They they create all these mistakes, but then they all of a sudden they're kind of out of commission and it feels so unfair to the betrayed. It just feels like, yeah. no, you should be bringing up these discussions. You should be initiating and talking yes. about this stuff. You oh, should be like so exhausting. actively like caring about this and talking about this, but they don't because they're, they're trying to just regulate their nervous system by avoidance. So I think that when you have a betrayed partner who is so tired of engaging or so tired of always having to to deal with a silent shutdown partner, mm-hmm. you know, again, we're using kind of the male female stereotype yeah. here, like the betrayed partner stereotype. is a woman. But if she is in a situation like that, like you said, for her to learn how to take care of herself, that becomes a boundary about what she won't tolerate. And that extends an invitation just by default to the betrayer to, to basically say, how am I going to deal with my freeze? Because yeah. she's not getting close to me. She's not engaging with me. She won't talk to me and I can just sit over here frozen, Iceman, all the time, Mm. right? And so I think it's an invitation for him to look at how he's going to thaw out. And and there's so many things he can do, right? He can go do his own personal therapy. He can learn mindfulness. He can, I mean, there's a billion things you can do to learn how to come out of that free state. It's not her responsibility to pull him out of it. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it is, it's that initially, right? Nobody likes a boundary being set. So as you described that perfectly, it's so exhausting and frustrating because you're like, you're the one that hurt me. And how come I'm doing all the work? Like I had a client recently say, you should see my bedroom. I have thousands of books. He has zero books. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so it just, it feels abusive in a way, you know, because of how, because of how that dynamic can go. And, and when we decide to say, you know, this isn't working for me anymore. And I need to take a, a step back from a conversation like this with this kind of dynamic yeah. in it. Um, it is that opportunity for connection, which I always say boundaries are not just for safety, but they're also for the opportunity of connection. Oh, yes. And so he might feel abandoned and frustrated and even more frozen for a time. And that's hard for the betrayed to sit with. Because the one that I remember and I hear a lot is like, well, then he's going to get exactly what he wants, which is disconnection and lack of accountability, right? If I in these conversations where I'm hurting, if I am, if I step, take a step back and stop pursuing connection, then isn't he just getting what he wants, which is a calm, happy life? Like that's what it appears on the outside. He doesn't want any contention. He doesn't want hardship. He doesn't want any accountability. So, right. But yeah. then what happens, right, is that she has an opportunity to watch what he does with that space. Does he use that space? to work on himself? Does he use that space to deepen his accountability? Does he work use that space to understand her experience and the impact he's having on her? Which all of those are readily available options and opportunities for him. 
And so I feel like any woman in that situation who's worried that he's going to just love the new conditions, at some point, she's going to probably start noticing a pattern. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman in that situation saying, you know what? Like, this is what he chooses when there's space, when he's, when there's peace. I probably need to do something different. And that may be, that may be a bigger, you know, relationship decision, or it could even be, right. It could even be just, I'm going to just focus on taking care of me for a long time now and, and have to, you know, Mm -hmm. and it may ultimately end up Mm -hmm. in an exit strategy, but I just feel like, yeah, because the thing is, is that we all have a choice, whether it's in conflict or in peace to decide how we're going to respond and be accountable for our own behaviors. And if he's going to take advantage of that opportunity and basically neglect his own accountability and repairing the relationship, then that to me is somebody who's entitled and, and not healthy. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. Well, and I love how you're saying that, that you, what you do in this choice that you're making isn't taking accountability away. Sometimes it can feel like if I, if I soften and, or not even soften, but if I'm not approaching this, then am I being a doormat? I'm not making him be accountable. But what you described is you're actually handing him the reins and saying, Hey, not of your life, but of himself and saying, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to observe and I call it information. I'm going to gather information. Yes. And then with that information, I'm going to decide what I need to do for me. And this is such this dance that we're doing around the stuff around attachment and then the stuff around, you know, trauma and how all of that interweaves. It gets, these are the moments where it gets really tricky is, you know, these dynamics are just so nuanced and, and so tricky and can be so triggering. So for listeners, you know, I just want you to know that this is such a tough, tough space and we hear you whatever side of the table you're sitting on, that this is, it can be really confusing. And, and like you said, there are options out there and odds are good if you're listening to this podcast, the betraying partner knows what those resources are, right? Therapy and group and, yeah. and all of those good things. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of it this way. Another way maybe to put this is if the betrayed partner is pursuing and trying to figure out what's going on and the betrayer freezes up, in a sense, if she decides, okay, I'm going to back off. Like I recognize that there's no accountability here. Like he's frozen. He's not responding to me. I can back off. Like I'm going to extend that level of like support and compassion perhaps for him being overwhelmed or even just for this moment, like it's not working. So even for myself, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to extend my some compassion to myself. I'm going to back out of this dynamic, whatever angle she's coming at it from. I'm going to disengage. And I feel like in that moment, she's making a conscious choice to like, try and improve a situation. I feel like that now puts the ball in the court of the betrayer to decide how am I going to improve this situation? How am I going to improve this relationship? Am I just going to like allow her to like always be the one that takes one for the team? Am I going to, am I just going to take advantage of this and basically kind of skate away and, you know, hope it never comes up again? Or am I going to say, you know what, you just did something that like tried to make an improvement. What can I do to make an improvement for myself, for us? And I I feel like if somebody's not engaging, because the truth is, is that somebody who's frozen will thaw out once the disengagement happens, they'll thaw out, you know, the next day or whenever. And so when they're in that, and to me, it's kind of like coming back to yourself for a moment in that space, what are they going to do with that? What do they tell themselves Mm -hmm. about what just happened? What rules are they following? Are they just going to deny it and move on or blame? Or or are they going to look at it and say, that wasn't very pleasant. I wonder why I do that. Or I wonder how I can stop doing that. If somebody's trying and fighting their way out of that, then 
that's a safe person to, I, I believe. I believe that's somebody who is probably going to be pretty workable. Yeah. And I, I want to share some, I don't know, educational information on, Please on do. what you just said. And then I want you to share some in terms of from the, the freezer side, how he could, or, you know, he or she could come back around right yeah. after the thaw. Like what, what would that conversation look like? And yeah. why would you even want to re-engage if you might get shut down again? But right. this piece that I heard you say, which was really cool, is that when she makes that choice to soften and just slow it down or take a step back, that language that you use, Part of it is giving a gift to the relationship and creating that opportunity, right? So there's a lot of like compassion and, and things around that, which is really cool. And I would also say, in addition to that, so there's the couple piece of that, but in addition to that, there's a really big empowerment piece of that. So totally. there's also the self-love part, right? Yes. So I'm showing, that's why we say boundaries are, are love, right? Like you're showing love to this other person by saying, this isn't working for us and I want to create an opportunity for connection. But you're also saying, you know what, what's empowering for me is for me to observe and to slow down and to get grounded and to have compassion for my own trauma and be like, yeah, of course I want to rip his little head Mm -hmm. off, you know, like, don't do that. It's not a recommendation. (laughs) But like, of course, I want to do that. Of course, I'm hurting and and observe that in ourselves, too. Yeah. But there is super empowerment there to slow that down, observe and go, well, what do I really want? out of this? What do I really want out of this yeah. relationship? And this isn't it. This isn't it. And yes. the self-love that comes from that and the relationship. And so I don't know if that's not advice so much as just to think through that process when you want to tear your skin off. Like I hear you. It is absolutely excruciating Yes, and it's not working for you anymore. And so show that self-love and empowerment by observing instead. Right. Some self-respect. I mean, that's you're exactly right. I love that. And I'm so glad you added that piece because you're right. There is an opportunity for the couple to come into it a different way. But regardless of whether that happens again, you're right. That person who's sitting there trying to get some kind of a reaction is they're suffering and it's okay for you Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself in that moment. You have Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. You have to. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. You can see my uh, dear audience. (laughs) (laughs) This is so messy. It's hard. So if you're in this situation and you're like, ah, why do I feel crazy? It's because it's hard. It's hard. hard. You're you're naturally wanting to get, you know, the more somebody closes you out, the more you naturally want to try and pull them closer to find out what's going on. It's it's everything in us. We're almost like Sue Johnson would say, we're somewhat defenseless against it. It's so hard. Well, and there's that piece too really quick that I'll throw in. And then I have one question for you is, is that it feels abusive because the person who appears to care the least has the most power, yep. right? We say that. Yep. Yep. And so it feels really abusive when really they're feeling super powerless themselves. And so it's this really complicated dynamic. Yes. And again, not to say that abusive people don't experience that shutdown, but it's interesting. And I guess we're inviting you to be aware and critical and uh, just gather data for yourself as yep. to what's really going on in that dynamic because every person's situation is different. And then I did want to ask you, so if he yeah. shuts down and then there's that space and time and then he goes and he gets calm or whatever he's doing, what to do next? What would be the ideal outcome after that? Like what happens after that, after he's thought out a little and you know they're just kind of in that limbo hanging out space? I think that if he really wants to advance the relationship forward, he has to do a couple of things. I think one, he has to lead with some accountability for shutting down, even though he may not feel it's his fault, even though he may feel like, man, my stupid nervous system just totally like 
you know, shut me down. I felt that. I know what that's like yeah. to yeah. feel like you want to stay in something and all of a sudden you're just like, like your power so just powerless. goes down. Yeah. But at the same time, I know in discussions in my with my wife, with even with my kids, other places where this has happened to me, I have to come back and say, I'm really sorry for the impact that had on you. Like I, I recognize that me just going quiet was not helpful and it's mm. not making excuses. It's not blaming my body. It's just owning from a compassionate place of that made that whole thing so much harder. And that probably overwhelmed you. And I, you know, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. I, and it's sending a signal to the other person that you care about their experience and that kind of compassion is actually very healing. And that's not abusive. That's the exact opposite of abusive. You're yeah. You're, you're not seeing them as an object who made your life hard. You're seeing them as someone that was impacted by you and your dumb nervous system, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, you're having compassion for your own experience and like, man, that was overwhelming to me, but man, it was super overwhelming to you. So I think you got to lead with that accountability first. And the second thing is I think it's really critical to pick up kind of where you left off the best you can. Like you initiate yeah. that. Like you're the one that comes back in and says, I want to try this again. And I'm, I'm really going to try and stay, do better and stay in it. Can we pick it up from here? I kind of clarify something or whatever, anything you can do so that the other partner doesn't feel like they're the one that always has to take the risk or be vulnerable or open mm -hmm. it back up. And especially if you're the one that betrayed them and you're the freezer, it's even more critical for you to learn how to initiate these and talk about them and not be avoidant because that is your job. You have to repair this. You can't just kind of live in like dodgeball land all the time where you're just totally trying to get out from under it all the time. That's not fair. It's not going to work. It's not going to, you'll yeah. never be a safe person if that's how your strategy is going to go. It's not going to work. Yeah. And I just want to throw an amen to that. How powerful in that last piece, you said, if you're the one engaging in the conversations, that's like money in the bank. Right totally. There. If you're the one who's willing, like, especially if you're the freeze type, and you're willing to show up to those conversations, oh my gosh, like that's going to just, that's like a return on investment right there, man. I don't even know how else to say yeah, that. I love it's that. incredible. That's incredible. Like it's, it's a big risk and it's scary, but that willingness to show back up to own, like in the meta conversation, own your part. I just know so, 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 so many. I know you, you know this too, Jeff, with your clients, how many women I work with every day that, are aching for that, you yeah. know, aching for just that emotional safety and how when they don't feel emotionally safe, even though their partners are sober, even though their partners are working their recovery steps, even though their partners are in other ways, good dads and kind and helpful because of this emotional freeze, they don't feel emotionally safe. And they're just, it, it's on the fritz, you know, and, and of course we get to take ownership of our own peace, but I just know that that's just would be money in the bank for every relationship. If, if you were to hear that. And if you're going to map it out, I think it's helpful. I mean, in a therapy session, you know, you would have an easier time doing this probably with somebody who can, you can kind of talk through. <laughs> right. But there is something really powerful about even just from a really sort of high level, of, like logical way of just basically saying, you know, I've noticed this pattern when I start talking, your body and face kind of start to drop. Like I notice this and I lose you. And then when that happens, I start to do this. And then when I start to do this, I notice you start to do this. Like, mm -hmm. can we find a different way out of this? Because I don't like who I start to become when I lose you. And when I lose you like that, it tells me this, right? It tells, in my mind, this yeah. is what I make up from you know, fill in the blank, my childhood, our past, whatever. I believe this about it. And I have no idea if that's true or not, because you're not 
there to like right. give me a different experience. And so we've got to do something different. I mean, you can invite them into a space of looking at the movements with that. And again, if the person's not abusive, if the person's not just a, you know, a huge narcissist, which I know these words get thrown around a lot, if they're not in that space at all, they're not that kind of a person, you'll start to be able to have some movement and some traction with that. They'll, they'll care about making this a decent experience. They're, their hearts will want to like extend healing yeah. somewhere, somehow. And, you know, if you're married to somebody who betrayed you and they have a ton of trauma, sometimes they need to just do some individual work and take some responsibility and go do yeah. that before you can probably even have some of these higher level discussions. Yeah. So, I'm glad you added that part yeah. because I was going to say, you know, there's also the learning curve and there's yeah. for, for the freeze, you know, betraying partner, there's a learning curve there. There's past trauma. And so that's right. Even if they're not super responsive immediately, that doesn't automatically also put them in the narcissist category no, either. You know, there's, no. there's a lot of different things here, but, but what I do hear you saying, Jeff, is that, you know, we create boundaries within ourselves. We open up those opportunities in our relationship to connect and that, you know, then we wait for their cue, right? Then yep. we take notes and we kind of see what are they going to choose to do? And, and that can help us feel better and, or not. And then that goes, okay, well, that's information for, for what I need to do next is that betrayed partner. So yeah. Yeah. Um, perfect. Yeah. I love how you so, said that. So Kaylee, just as we wrap up here, I'd love for you just to just here on the mic, just talk to the betrayed partners right now. And then if you could even then just talk to the freeze, right? The betrayers who freeze up. I'd love to just sort of summarize what you could give them in terms of some first steps if they find themselves in this dynamic where they're trying to seek safety and healing and connection and just trying to get some sort of movement going in their their relationship specifically, but they're with somebody who freezes up. Like, what do you tell them? Yeah. So, I mean, I would tell my betrayed partner, you know, I hear you. This is physiologically agonizing. Sitting on the other side of that. It's just, it's physiologically agonizing whether you're, you know, pursuing or whether you're withdrawn somewhere, just hurting and aching. Mm -hmm. It's so painful to feel just blank on the other end of your drive and it's lonely. And I hear you. And what I hope for you is for you to kind of step into that reality of where you guys are and Mm -hmm. what's happening. And then also, like you described, Jeff, earlier, find some of that inner drive for self that goes, okay, and what do I want? You know, I can't control everything, but what can I control? And part of what I want is hopefully a connected relationship. And so I want to approach this gently, but, but also in a way that's assertive and empower, empowering. And, and you can do that, you know, and it's really hard and it's really scary, but there is a way out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there's a way through, maybe. Yeah. There's not really a way out, but there's a way through. And so that would be my my thing is, you know, is just, I'm sorry. And you're not crazy. This is crazy making, right? So <laughs> Always. That. Always uh, have to and make then sure. To the, yeah. yeah. And then to the betray, you're the freeze person. I would say, you know, I know this is really tough and it feels like you're so out of control of your body. And she seems like she's so angry and scary and, or like she doesn't care at all and she's disconnected and she doesn't care. But odds are good that if she's still in your life, she cares. Mm-hmm. Odds are good if she's still, odds are good. I'm not saying it's every case. She cares. And even if that's not the message your body is getting and your system is getting, it's probably true and it's worth it. It's worth it to try. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what those resources are. So yeah, try. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. Right. I love that. Thanks for summarizing. I think it's so good. And I, 
And thanks for reaching out to me so we could talk about this. I think that this is such a critical thing to to, to piece apart. And of course, we could talk <laughs> so much more about it and flip yeah, the roles sure. or whatever. But hopefully, it gives people a starting point and a place to even start asking some questions and yeah. and just trying to Have assess where they it. fall on this. Yeah, we want to give people language and some maps to understand what might be happening and to normalize so much of it too. So, sure, awesome, for sure. Well, awesome. I'll put uh, your contact info in the uh, show notes so people can find you. But uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. You can find Kaylee on Instagram at Kaylee C. Dunn and also online at solaceemotionalhealth.org forward slash awake. And that's where her group is. And so you can uh, find all those links in the show notes, of course. And yeah, thanks, Kaylee. Thanks for coming on and talking to me. Sure love talking to you. It was a great discussion. And we'd love to hear your feedback on this, listeners. What did you think? What's been your experience? You can uh, drop me a, a message on Instagram or on my website. You can contact me there. I'd love to hear from you. And Kaylee and I you know, will definitely be back together talking about other kinds of topics like this. And so we'd love to hear from you and your reaction to this. And of course, I'd love for you to follow me on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. And then on my website, I've also got lots of great courses and content and past episodes of this podcast and so on. Love to see you over there and support you any way I can. As always, leave a rating and a review and share this podcast with anyone else who you think might benefit from it. There's a lot of people out there who need good information. And I love the guests that we have on here. They share so much great content and I'd hate to just keep it to just a few people. So let's get the word out and make sure that lots of people have access to good healing information. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast. I love connecting with all of you and I will see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.